So I don't know what today is, but it's a pretty high Sabbath. And um, again, I was super excited about the, the drama and also the kids. Aren't they cute? They're cute if they're not yours, you know? You know how it goes. No, they're still cute, you know, but you see the two Carolines at home. Um, sing with me. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. Father, anoint us. May the Spirit rest here. And may the church rise to a higher calling. And may you be glorified through what happens here in this congregation and in, in congregations all over this world. To you be the glory forever. Amen. If you have ever read the journal N Nature which is based out of Britain, but they write a weekly journal every, I, I guess every week. It's weekly, right? And now they have a website, nature.com. And recently I read one of their articles. And the title of that article is Social Isolation Shortens Lifespan. And in 2012, there, well, from 2004 to 2012, there was a study done with 6,500 people 50, aged 52 and older, and I'm not going to ask who in this congregation are 52 and older, but if you are, you would have been part of this study if it was started today. And, the, and they did this through the English Longitudinal Study of Aging. And what they had found out is that social isolation was correlated with higher mortality, even after they accounted for all the pre-existing conditions. And they actually found out that because sometimes we think of social isolation and loneliness on you know, the two sides of the same coin, but they said, actually, this was even outside of if somebody's feeling lonely. If they were alone, like physically alone, they were more likely to die earlier just being alone, despite the feelings of loneliness. So what they were saying is, we need to solve this problem to get people with people. We need people with people, period. And people will live longer. It doesn't matter what age they are. We need people with people. One of the saddest commentaries of our church, to me, from a personal level, well, it wasn't me, but was the story that my wife told me years ago. She said she had... She had gone on vacation. Her parents are crazy, but they let her go on vacation to Florida as a senior in high school. But because she's so mature, um, they handled it with grace. And, 
and she and her best friend go to Florida and on Sabbath, they said, let's go to church. And Anna took her as a senior in high school. You know, a senior in high school, that's pretty mature. Take her to a Seventh-day Adventist church. And according to my wife's testimony, which I do trust, she said not one person said one word to them. I should hear gasps. One person saying one word. They walked in and walked out. I don't know if it was unnoticed, but on, according to their perspective, unnoticed. So, 24 years ago, I was in college at Bowling Green State University, and I knew I wanted to do more than just go to school. So, I had a couple of buddies that I'd met in classes. You know, in classes, if you, go to, if you went to Adventist school, the classes are this big, but at a public school, they're a lot bigger. And here I am making friends in, in these classes, in my biology class, which, you know, has hundreds of kids, kids, you know, adults, young adults, hundreds of them, and they said, hey, why don't you rush our fraternity? Why don't you rush? Why don't you join our fraternity? And at first I was, I don't know if I really want to join a fraternity, but after a while I was like, yeah, I do want a community. I want a community of shared experience that we can just hang out. Now, if you know the fraternity life, there's probably positives and there's not so positives that go along with it. But on rush week, which is this high week that everybody in the Greek system sort of showcases their house to, join, to get new recruits, there were two houses I was looking at. And I don't know if you can get to that slide. Uh, there was... This is SAE, oh, you can't see it, it's so dark. It's SAE, which is Sigma Alpha Epsilon, and there was one called Sigma Chi. And they were two, you know what I did to find out what the good houses were? Because I didn't know, I knew a couple of guys in each. I asked the girls, hey, which houses do you think are, what are good guys? And they said, go, SAE, Sigma Chi. So I went to both of them. One night, I think it was like a Monday or a Tuesday night, because it's a week long, and I go there, and I first go to the SAE house, and this guy, Scott, comes to me. He meets me, and he says, hey, I'm Scott. I, you know, it's really good to meet you. He's like, how did you, know, how'd you hear about this? And I mentioned a couple of names. He's like, great, they're here. You know, let's go see them. And, and he brought me in, and we talked with them for a while, and, and he asked intentional questions. What do you like to do? Oh, you play tennis? Well, we got a couple of guys on the varsity tennis team. Why don't you meet them? And he introduced me to some of these guys. And they said, why don't you come out to practice? And they were way better than me. But, they, you know, I actually came out to practice with them. And it was, he just, you're a biology major? Do you know this kid? You know, whatever. And we just connected. About a half hour later, I said, well, I got to go. I go to the Sigma Chi house. And, guy, and a guy up there, I don't even remember his name, yeah, hey, what's up? I'm John. And he's like, let me just tour you around. And, and we go around the house, 
And there's just a couple of group of guys. Hey, what's going on? Hey, what's up? Hey. And I thought, which group of guys would I like to hang out with? Which group of guys made me feel like they wanted me a part of this community? Well, which one was it? First or second? First. So I did become an SAE. And I made friends for life. I, I, I still talk to, I, I just saw one in California this last year. People are looking for community. They're looking for community. There is a, a Bible text in Genesis 2, and we just read it, and it says this. The Lord God said, it is not what? Good for man to be alone. By the way, was this pre-sin or post-sin? Pre-sin. Pre-any sin coming into the world, and he says, it's not good. Good is the opposite of what? Bad. He says, this is not a good situation for a man to be alone. Now, this word that it uses is ha-adam, adam, which is mankind. It's not good for mankind to be alone. It's not good for people to be alone. That's not a good thing. I just started reading this book, and I have the copy up there if you want to read it yourself. It's called The Village Effect, and I got referred to it through an article that I, I was reading about how our society is rapidly changing to an isolated society, and one of the worst inventions that our Western world has created is the garage door. Meaning the garage door, like, automatic. Because people can click it from work, drive in, click it down, and not speak to a soul. Now, for you that are part of, that could be part of this study, you know, the, the 52 or older, do you remember when people had porches and they sat on their porches? Do you remember when you talked with your neighbors? Even people my age, do you remember when you would just bike all over town? You'd bike to the candy store and you'd talk to the, you know, to the, uh, to the store clerk and you'd, and you'd have friends that you would spend. In the summertime, I was out all the time. I, I had community. I knew all of my neighbors, especially the ones with kids. I used to play basketball across the street because we didn't have a basketball hoop. We had community. But now, if you are honest, how many of you can honestly say that you know everybody on your street? All right. We got one. 
Growing up, I knew everybody on our street. I mean, yeah, I knew, I knew everybody. Now, I might not have known them where I ate dinner with them, but I knew them. I knew the ones that would sit on their porches. We used to sit on our porch sometimes. There were kids playing basketball. We had community. So this person says, this Susan Pinker, said that we are becoming extremely, we're going into a dangerous rate of where there's not enough face-to-face interaction, especially with the introduction of social media, is we are not having face-to-face interaction. And it says this. Here's, I'm just going to pull some of the facts from here. It's in the book. The lowest rate of dementia appears in people with extensive face-to-face social networks. So face-to-face net, uh, networking leads to lower dementia. Those with tight circles of friends who gather regularly are likely to live an average of 15 years longer than loners. That's nothing to sneeze at. It's not like six months longer. 15 years. How about this? I I thought this was interesting. Because if you look up there, well, you probably can't read this. She wrote a book called The Sexual Paradox. And the premise of this is that she was studying why why do we believe that women live substantially longer than men? And what her theory is, is it's social networking. Women are way better at social face-to-face networking. But here's this. A study of women with breast cancer found that those with large networks of friends are four times, how many times? Four times as likely to survive as those with sparser social connections. Networking does something. Actually, she even writes this, and I don't know if this is truly factual or what, but that if somebody has a once-a-week meeting with, with like a group, like a Starbucks meeting or, or some kind of bowling or, or cards with friends, a regular meeting, it helps improve the years of life in the same exact manner as giving up a pack of day of smoking. That's how much social networking can change your life. There was another book that was written, and I didn't put it up here. It's called Bowling Alone, and saying that the same thing, this author is saying, because the bowling leagues have diminished. Remember, I mean, some of you guys growing up, do you remember when bowling, I mean, you would go, and nights, it would be packed at these bowling alleys, and leagues upon leagues upon leagues. And if you wanted to go from 6 to midnight, you couldn't get a free lane because they were just leagues. My dad was in a league. My mom was in a league. I mean, they really pushed this. It's not the same. You're losing the bowling leagues. You're losing the card nights. And people are losing community. And do you think it has only affected the outside? of these walls. We are in a shared space 
And I'm not saying here at Downers Grove because this, this is a global problem. I mean, the way she says it, it's not even just a Western world problem. This is a global problem. Internet is global now. And the problem is that all over the world, people are becoming less and less connected in community. The word community, as far as we have it, comes from a French, an old French word, and I'm assuming that's pronounced communite. I don't know how to speak French, especially old French. Communite, which means common. You just have something in common. Which comes from a Latin word, communis, which means shared by many. Now this word communis, probably communis, is, has, forms a word as communitatum, which means to fellowship together to share in common, common experiences, to fellowship together. We are built for community. Yet we have been sabotaged with false community. Have you, have you read any of the studies about social media? That social media is really sabotaging people because people are putting their their best pictures out there. You know, oh, hey, we're in Florida. We're in Greece. We're, you know, doing this. We're doing that. Hey, it's awesome. My life is awesome. And then you know how it's, res- how it's affecting people that are seeing that everybody's life is awesome? It's creating depression. But we think we have media. I mean, we, we have community because we have this. I have Instagram. I have Snapchat. Yay! We have a community. And it's not, a, it's not the same. These multiplayer games are not the same. Sure, you might make some friends. It is not the same as face-to-face interaction. More and more studies are coming out that people are going into deep depression because they don't have community. Now here's what, and I don't know exactly the word I want to use, but I am going to use a very strong word. I believe that the sole purpose for the church, the sole purpose for the church corporate is community. I can do evangelism. Actually, you can do evangelism the way that, you know, like Ellen White talks about it, you know, personal contact. I can do that alone. I really need to do evangelism on my own you know, before I say, hey, let's do this big seminar thing and I don't really get involved. No, I need to be meeting the people that I work with and I live near. My personal devotions are more important than what you hear coming out of my mouth. Your personal walk, your daily walk alone is more important than what you hear coming out of my mouth. Everything can be and should be done on a singular level But God says, it's still not enough. You need community. You need to connect with people of shared faith. So I want to show you a little bit of the church's origins, like where the word church comes from. If you go to the next slide. Kirke is a Germanic word, an old Germanic word, 
where we get the word church, which comes from a word called, uh, that was Circe. And this word Circe was a Babel, an old Babylonian word that, where we get the word circle or circumvent or circumstance. It, is, it means to surround. Now, the Greek word that is translated as church is ecclesia. Does that sound fam- familiar to any of you Spanish-speaking people? Ecclesia? What is, what is church for in Spanish? Iglesia, right? They're similar. They're romantic languages, and it just means the ones that are called out to gather. Called to gather. But in the Old Testament, the word kahal, which is translated the assembly, it's usually not translated church. It's weird how they did that. But it's the same word in the, in the Septuagint. Kahal means to gather together. And the, and the wording is, as a shepherd, when he calls his sheep, gather. Come, come here. Let's be together. We're a lot stronger here than we are you over there, you over there, you over there. Ironically, we, we're all here in this church today, but how many of us are walking with you over there, you over there, you over there? How many of you really feel, I feel so secure in my community, my church community? Part of the reason I joined a fraternity, and, and I remember saying this at one point, I said, if it came to the point, because I was talking to my dad, now I was sort of justifying in my own head, all right? There were, there's a lot of negative stuff that comes with a fraternity too. But I said, if it came to me trusting, like calling somebody, like if I got a flat tire, and I would call between a fraternity brother and a church member, who would I call? The fraternity brother. That's where my community was. They're the ones that cared about my everyday life. And I'm sure people at the church did also. But how my perspective was is I had community there. And I wonder if God is calling us to go against the grain that, our, that the trends of our world are pulling, pulling us against community and saying, I don't care, you need community. Because in the biblical meaning, a church is not, I want you to see this, a church is not a building. It is now. I'm talking biblically. A church is not a building. A church is not an institution. The Seventh-day Adventist church or the Baptist church, that is not biblical. I'm just saying biblical. It is not a service. You know, we use that word. Oh, I went to church. Oh, you were at church? Yeah, I was at church. That is not, that is actually probably the most, that's the closest one. But biblically, a church is a people. It's a people. You know, ironically, and I almost did a sermon on this years ago. If I would do vandalism to this church, people would be appalled that I took 
advantage of a sacred space. If I would trash on an institution, maybe our specific church, denomination, some people would be very much offended. If I would switch things all up on the service, some people would have heart attacks. But we are not appalled at times to disgrace people who are the real biblical church. We will gossip, we will do things, and we will tear down people, which is the only biblical interpretation of church. You are the church. I am the church. We are the church. This is not biblically the church. We are the only ones that are going to the kingdom. This building is not. Amen. But we've got it reversed. And so we go through these motions of coming here, shared space, yet really not building community. And I'm not saying this about Downers Grove. I'm saying that this is a global issue that we, now Downers Grove, can go against. Because I guarantee if you go to Hinsdale, I guarantee if you go to these other churches that are local, there are people that are attending our churches to any church, any denomination. They are going and lacking community, are depressed, feel lonely, are hurting, and they are not connected. And I do wonder, and I know that people, there's some people that say, well, I would rather just slip in and slip out. And I understand that. But then you fail to see what the church really is about. Because church is solely for community. Now, obviously, we know that we have some community here because of what we just saw happen with Jack and Lucimar. I hope they feel loved. They were part of this community. But can we do better? I hope so. I, I don't think we've reached perfection. <laughs> yeah, I like that. No. Right. It doesn't matter what congregation. We haven't reached perfection. So why community? Well, first thing is, Christianity is about relationships, period. What God said is, we're having community, but we want you to join our community. So he says, let us make man in our image, and let's grow in community together. But he says, wait, 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 that's not really complete yet. Let us make mankind sort of split them and may they have community together. And it says, that's why the two greatest commandments are love your God with everything you have and love your neighbor as yourself, your fellow human being, and be in community. Do not isolate. I have built within you in your DNA a need for community. 
And so you have little communities. You might have your family. You might have, but you need more. At times, it takes a village to raise a kid, right? You've heard that before. I welcome that village. Try and raise my kids. (laughs) It will take the whole village. I love this quote I read. It says, in order to learn about love, we need people. That's how God made it. In order to learn about love, true love, we need people. Why community number two? We need a shared experience. And the only way you have shared experience is with time. Shared experience is not an hour, and I'm guilty of this also, an hour, two hours a week. More and more that I read is that you need at least one weekly connection with people from your base. So whatever it is, if you're going to choose church, if you feel that church is important, you need at least one meeting a week. That's not easy. I know some of you guys work and don't get home till seven or eight. It's not easy. But if you want to live 15 years longer, you might want to. I'm just saying, it's a trade-off, you know, 15 years. Number three, now this is an ideal. We need encouragement and strength. How sad it is when the church has not been the one who encourages and strengthens. But ideally, the community of faith is supposed to be one that encourages and strengthens people. Because remember, the church is not a building. It's not a service. It's not an institution. It's a people. You are the church. Let me actually read this, this, uh, this verse to you. It's, uh, it, it's up there. And it's from Ecclesiastes 4. And you know, you've especially heard the last one. Sometimes they do it at weddings. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, what happens? One can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has nobody to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep each other warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. You know that verse, right? The more we have twisted together, the bigger the scissors are needed. You need those extra Cutco ones that cut through pennies. We need community stranded together but maybe for too long we have had a strand here a strand here just in common that we meet on sabbaths a strand here a strand here a strand here and the enemy is plucking us off like bing 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 when maybe if we were stranded together as a community he'd get the biggest ones possible and he still couldn't Because collectively, with the power of the Holy Spirit, he's like, this is too hard. I give up. Number four, there's five. 
Just bear with me. Number four is we need conflict. Yikes. Now, not too many people like conflict. We avoid it like the plague. Now, there's a few people that they really like conflict. But, but there's not too many people that like conflict. But we actually need it. Conflict resolution, I, I'm actually sad that they did not have a class solely on conflict resolution when I was in the seminary. Because conflict, the way I look at it, is like working out. When I work out, or when I started working out, I could never have imagined that I would have become this special. No, I'm just But I could have never imagined that I could lift what I lift today. I remember, you know, you know, you know the red face, not knowing how to breathe, you know. But the thing is, is I can't expect myself that way. And all working out is, is dealing with a, a weight pressing against you, a conflict. And as you sort of oppose this, you become stronger. But if, they're the, if it's people and they are also in a Christian manner dealing with conflict, they will grow also. It's good. Conflict is actually good for growth. Do you know that that's what Matthew 18 is all about? It's about forgiveness, but it's saying, if you have something, you know, that's bothering you about your friend Andy over here, go talk to him. It doesn't say, well, just avoid it. It'll, it'll blow over. No, don't do it. No, it says go talk to him. If he doesn't listen, then blow it up. it'll blow over, right? No, it says, you know, let me take JP. We'll set him straight. No, it just says go talk to him then. If he still isn't listening, let's, let's bring the leadership there. And, and, and then the last part is it says, you know, treat him as a tax collector. But what it means is win him back to, show him so much love to win him back to the gospel. Because you care so much about that person that you're willing to go into conflict with them. That's true love. And fifth is wherever you see like community, a, a godly community, it always attracts the Holy Spirit. Something big will happen if godly community happens. If we are praying together in the upper rooms, if we are together in you know, soul, mind, body, spirit, if we are growing together in fun times and hard times, the Holy Spirit is like, yes, I can work with this. And how do you think the enemy is? Uh-oh, they're becoming a community. This is my challenge to you, to me, because it's going to take some time, and it's going to take work, but I think that we will be greatly blessed and the community around, people will be drawn to a place where, hey, that's actually a real community. People will be drawn here because we've become a community. And I just want to read one quote to you as we, as we wrap up because I thought this was amazing. And you know that, that it was from a rabbi. And this rabbi, Shlomo Karlbach, 
He founded a synagogue in Berkeley, California in the 1960s. And it was in order to reach out to many young Jews who had sort of drifted away from the Jewish tradition. And he was, in 1967, he was interviewed. And this is what he said, uh, because they were, they were interviewing him and they said, well, what's the vision of your synagogue? What is the, the vision? What is your real vision? And he said this, here's the whole thing. That's it. Here's everything. So listen, simple as it is, the house of love and prayer is a place where when you walk in, someone loves you, and when you walk out, someone misses you. May we be that place. We're going to do something just a little bit different. I am going to ask that if you feel the call to grow in community or feel that this is a challenge that is of our church, please come up here. You can close your eyes, so that, but please come up here and we are going to pray over our corporate church. So please come on down. Can you just play something? You can play one more of that. Please come down. And you're going to touch and agree. I want, I want us touching. We're a community, all right? Touch and agree. You get connected. So I will do Aaron's blessing upon you, and then we will pray. Yevareka Adonai v'yishmareka, Ya'er Adonai panav alecha v'yichoneka. Yisa Adonai panav alecha v'yasem lecha shalom. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Father, change us. Anoint us. And no matter how much it goes against the grain of what society has built in my heart, may I be open to be changed so that we collectively can be a community. A community that shares in each other's joys and each other's sorrows. Let nobody fall through the cracks here and feel that they can slip in and slip out, depressed, sorrowful, May this truly be a community of faith believers. We ask this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Happy Sabbath, everybody.